Hello and welcome to the latest Autocar Business Live webinar sponsored by Cox Automotive. My name is Mark Tischel, editor of Autocar. Today's topic asks the question, what will the world of selling cars look like in 2024? Never has there been a more interesting or more complicated time to be selling cars with the rise of the agency sales model, the ongoing cost of living crisis, and of course, the introduction of the ZEV mandate this year that makes uh, that means car makers will have to sell 22% of their total volumes as EVs. To find some answers to these questions, we have three speakers who have kindly given up an hour of their time to be with us today. First up, we have Eurig Juice, Vice President of UK Sales at Stellantis, the huge global car maker that owns brands including Vauxhall, Peugeot, Fiat, Jeep, and many more. Alongside him is Robert Forrester, CEO of Motors, now one of the largest automotive retailer groups in the UK, employing more than 7,000 people with a network of more than 190 sales outlets. Finally, Philip Noffard, Insight Director at Cox Automotive joins us, and it is Cox Automotive who we hold this webinar in association with today. Cox Automotive is the world's largest automotive services organization. Its physical and digital products and services are used by manufacturers, fleet owners, and dealers to process, manage, buy, and sell vehicles. For those of you watching, please do send in any questions you have for any of our panelists we, ha we have here today by using the form on your screen, and we will get to as many of them as possible. Robert, let's come to you first for a bit of scene setting. How is life as a car dealer at the start of 2024? Well, it's a bit calmer than the back end of last year uh, when residual values on used cars dropped very heavily in, in significant terms historically, and that catered a lot of dislocation for people retailing used cars because uh, the values dropped, the reverse of what we actually saw about 15 months ago. Um, I think things are settling down. All the metrics are that used car values are stabilising. I think the battleground is shifting now to new car retailing, actually. And the January SMMT statistics told the story of, of a very, very buoyant fleet market, uh, but a weakening retail market and particular weakness in relation to electric vehicle sales, which were down considerably on last year. And we all know that the new VETS legislation has got a target. It's not quite 22%. Actually, it's a bit more complicated than that. Uh, Bev mix this year. Uh, but the industry delivered 14.5% in January. And that is a massive gap. So I think the government impact on the industry is massive. And the manufacturers particularly are facing a very, very difficult position. Thank you, Robert. Plenty we'll come back to there. Um, coming to you, Eurig, as, as an OEM, how quickly is your relationship changing with customers and retailers? Hi, thanks, Mark. I think first thing to realise, I guess, for me is we, we've got to be in the union in our, in our nature, you know, to thrive, things do have to change and continually change. And uh, that ability to be agile in the environment uh, becomes a competitive uh, advantage. And I think you know, we face many, many challenges. Robert's talked about many of us, um, of the challenges for the industry uh, that we face right now. When we look at from a customer point of view, then cars are increasingly complex and, of course, more so connected as well uh, in terms of the, the product offering that's out there. And this opens doors to a new closeness of relationship, which we can help uh, business to, to flourish, but more crucially, enhance that consumer experience. And for us, if I look at it in terms of our relationships with a dealer, never has there been a more important time for us to have an open, strong, trust-based relationship with our retailers as we face some of the challenges that we have in front of us. And Philip, Cox Automotive publishes a new and used market forecast every year. What, what can we expect in 2024? Yeah, as you say, I mean, we, we do it on a quarterly and a, an annual basis through our insight reports. But yeah, I think we, we're we kind of talking about a fairly stable 
market this year. You know, we saw a, an increase last year for new cars. We we forecast a, a marginal uplift, but behind the scenes, there's a lot taking place, and we'll get onto a lot of that in today's conversation, particularly that new car registration market on the back of what we've seen already in in, in January. So, you know, we we provide a, an upside, a baseline and a downside scenario to take into some considerations how the market dynamics might might shift through through the year. And from a used car perspective, yes, we are again forecasting a marginal increase year on year. But again, you know, there are the 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 offshoot of what's happening in the new car market does start to then impact what's happening in the used vehicle market, particularly when it comes to fuel type, supply, et cetera, and availability and cost of, of used cars. So when we talk about the forecast, it's not quite just as simple as the headline number. There's a lot of detail, a lot of information behind there that we need to take into consideration this year. Robert, the, the big one then, how will the ZEV mandate affect new car sales in the UK? This the year? ZEV mandate is no more. It's been renamed. It's now called VETS, Vehicle Emission Trading Scheme. Uh, and it's not just a 22% target. It's also the 22% can be lowered depending on how well the manufacturer delivers CO2 against a, a benchmark. So it's quite complicated, actually. Um, and it will be the biggest issue, I think, that we face this year as an industry uh, because the Government have put in place a very, very hard-hitting aspirational set of targets, having bafflingly told the customers they don't need to worry about this until 2035 and stumped up absolutely zero money at all to incentivize retail customers to do it. So they've really helped, uh, as only our incompetent government can, really. Uh, and we saw it in January, uh, and it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very, very difficult for manufacturers uh, if there isn't a massive change in customer appetite for EVs, which actually I don't think there is, without some sort of supply side help from the from the government, then it's all on the manufacturers to discount the cars. I don't think they've got the profit in those cars, in which case I actually think we'll see pressure on volume and people will actually want to sell less cars in the UK to try and not stuff up the £15,000 a car fine, which is on the table. So... I think the government have made a right royal mess of it uh, and we will have uh, issues throughout the year. Q4 could be fascinating. The, the the machinations of Q4 when the numbers are in and the manufacturer trying to hit their landing points uh, could be absolutely hilarious, to be honest. Your, your response, um, you're living and breathing this, this every day. What, what do you make of that from Robert? Yeah, I think... Robert nails it, frankly, that the, the the whole scenario generates a level of distortion in the in the marketplace. And what we have is uh, through this policy is perhaps a compelling uh, policy to drive supply, but not really a 360 strategy to drive the transition that's required. So there's nothing to drive demand. There's something to drive supply of vehicles in terms of electric and, and the penalties for but not reaching that level, um, but nothing to, to drive a consumer to want to make the change. And I think, you know, if I was to, I probably wouldn't still be in a role if we had a strategy that lacks so many components, frankly. So, you know, we, we should be looking at a uh, policy, and it's not for me to judge the government. The government have been voted in by the population of the UK. They have a job to do. But in setting out an agenda, then there has to be the component parts around that agenda to drive uh, what then becomes uh, a delivery. And so what I mean with that, of course, is that if we're going to go uh, to reduce emissions and the route that is chosen is to go electric vehicles, then as a country, we need to defend first and foremost our ability to manufacture. It's UK jobs, UK uh, um, population working to build those vehicles, crucial for the success of the UK. Thereafter, the, the infrastructure is in place to allow people to make that switch. And then thirdly, that there is a compelling reason for you to make the change. And quite frankly, right now, we have a massive distortion in the marketplace where if I'm a company director or maybe on the higher end of um, the salary band, I could take a really expensive battery electric vehicle and pay less taxation as a company vehicle than someone driving a Vauxhall Corsa. That makes no sense if we want to uh, drive um, demand for electric vehicles across uh, the whole of the, of the marketplace. 
Philip, has it ever been anything like this in, in the UK new car sales market? Just just how complicated and how seismic is this? I think that the, the thing at the minute is not one single thing that's that's you know, we as a sector we've always been very resilient to some kind of change or some kind of external influence that we have little or no control over. The problem we've got at the minute is there are so many things going on around the supply of, of vehicles, import export of vehicles. Positively, the rules of origin has been delayed, which does help. It's one less thing for the manufacturers to think about in terms of challenges this year that they they did have initially when they they, they finished twenty twenty four in twenty twenty three. Sorry, but you know, I think we there's so much complexity, and in the middle of all this, the OEMs have got to work out their strategies in terms of market placement, whether that's UK, Europe, or some of the international markets, right hand drive versus left hand drive. We're still dealing with the the, the Brexit rollout, the end of the TCA of, of Brexit and what that means generally. So there's there's a lot going on, and you know we we are a you know a fairly uh, robust sector for for automotive um, in terms of registration volumes and import export. But we are, as just being pointed out there, we are in danger of of ruining that for for the sector for the UK because. If it doesn't work for European international manufacturers to bring product into the UK market, then they may look elsewhere. Now, that impacts them, but it also impacts the retailer and the entire ecosystem of the automotive sector. It's wider than that, yeah. though, isn't it? Because actually, this is a European-wide policy. We've got our own predilections in the UK government, but actually, the European manufacturers are facing a European problem with net zero-esque policies and leaving the door open for, frankly, lower-cost Chinese producers to come and take significant market share and undermine the industrial base of the European Union. And it, it does seem a very strange policy, actually, but that does appear to be the way they're going. And we could we could lose our manufacturing base, just like we've lost the steel industry and others. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the, you know we are a 36, 37 million used vehicle part, which, you know, the automotive sector is heavily reliant in terms of revenue and, and income in supply chain to one to four supply chains. And you start to look at what's happening in that used vehicle market. And, you know, we saw the January numbers come out and the big milestone of one million EVs on the road. That's a great milestone to achieve. But where are the used car buyers for these EVs that are accelerating at a very fast rate? through the used vehicle park where does that happen to to your point you know that it's going into that fleet sector it's going into the benefiting kind it's going into the company car driver but they come out of that company car and they get another company car because it's financially it's, it's tax benefit for them well somebody's got to do some of that used vehicle into the marketplace and that's yeah, where I mean, i'm slightly comes. more optimistic on that because as you know Onto went bust, didn't they, in September in spectacular yeah. fashion? You know, electric vehicle subscription business was a business model that dreamt in hell, to be honest. Europe, you know, with residuals dropped forty five percent, and we picked up six hundred used Renault electric vehicles overnight, and actually they were at the right price. Put them on the forecourts, and they flew out. I would Absolutely. echo and support and support you there, Robert. Thanks for sure. Obviously, there's been a big impact in terms of residual values of electric yeah. vehicles, but what we are seeing is that they're certainly from from our uh, used vehicle teams here, they're the fastest moving units, in fact, at a price. So it shows, yeah. to, to some respect, that consumer demand could be there. We've seen uh, the French government have recently launched um, uh, a leasing program uh, to support demand of electric, uh, and and that's had a massive uptake as well mm -hmm. in terms of our order base is really really strong as a result. So, I think consumers um, would have an appetite to make the switch. Our job, then, my job, we have to find the solutions to try and be compliant because we will always be compliant. It's our job to be compliant with whatever the government says, uh, but to make sure that the business flourishes whilst being compliant. So much success in EVs, isn't there, in the salary sacrifice channel? which actually tells you people will want EVs, but they'll want them if, frankly, it makes economic sense. What they're not willing to do is put their own, especially in the economic environment, is put their own finances in danger to try and save the planet. There is no appetite for that whatsoever. Right. I think that's the balance, isn't it? We've got to get the new vehicle sector moving from an EV transition 
as you say, used vehicles at a price to find the point. You know, we, yeah. we we saw examples throughout 2023 with the, as Jürg said, that realignment of used vehicle prices. Yes, it was painful for, for many um, asset holders throughout that period. But once we got through that, they found their position in the market. They became good value. They became parity to, to some of the ICE vehicles. And if it works financially and infrastructure-wise for that driver, it was the right decision to move into that. It's whether it's enough of that at enough pace to to meet the speed in which it's been forced through the the legislations in the new vehicle sector. There is a risk, isn't there, which me and you have discussed many times, that with the acceleration of electric vehicles and then the acceleration of electric vehicles into the wholesale markets, actually new vehicle electric vehicle sales are hampered by the cost of change and the fact that residual values are actually so weak, that doesn't help adoption of electric vehicles and makes the job a lot harder. Uh, but if we get too much supply into the new car market, the used car market, then residuals will comp- continue to be weak, which will then continue to undermine the uptake. I think that that's a fundamental point almost, is that compliance can be achieved in one of two ways. And so you sell your way to compliance, which is to get to the volumes of bav cells that we need, or you cut your way to compliance. And you know that that's no good for anybody in the country. If we end up as manufacturers cutting... Uh, supply of new vehicles to to the marketplace. It means manufacturing jobs not there, not consistent with where they are today. It means impacts in terms of earnings across the whole value chain. And so we should be doing things to encourage business growth. We should be doing things to encourage the market to to be in place. And I think the crucial thing then is to avoid speculation as well. Because there's you know obviously now talk uh, out there in in press, and we are talking about it today, I guess, in terms of what incentives could the government bring but we have to be more decisive and make a change bring it to marketplace and then be consistent and you know to to take the example uh, of um of last year we find out about the import tariffs in december that's when the agreement is made we don't plan our business in december for the following year production for the first few months and is already booked and in place by that point so it, it is a fundamental alignment of consistency of policy that would would help us to to flourish as well. What what incentives you know going straight to speculation? Sorry, Eric, uh, is to each of you. Um, and this is a question we already had him from the floor. Uh, Peter Brown, CEO from Driven. What action would you like to see the government make to drive EV demand? What what specific policies can be put in place? From from my point of view, I don't want to speculate too much really for, for me a, a larger point is the whole value chain and a full strategic plan and so supporting manufacturing midterm supporting battery production in the uk uh, then from there having a balanced uh, approach in terms of how we then create demand alongside the, com- the compulsion for us to move to electrics and Whatever form that takes, I mean, maybe Robert's in a better position than me to describe that from a retail position. But, you know, we've been here before many, many times and been able to create a big change in demand. I remember many years ago, a small change relatively in VED causing a massive spike in the March market. But, you know, going back to this consistency of strategy, what we're facing next year, actually, is that another loss for an electric buyer because VED that is currently a a, a zero will will come back in place on battery electric vehicles. So there just seems to be a a hammer bat. This must happen. This must happen, but no no roadway to to actually end up delivering it. So it it then relies on us as manufacturers with our dealer partners to find the solutions. Robert, well, you speak to customers all the time. I'm sure in, in dealerships. What would, what would get someone over the line to buy an EV that might be wavering? Robert, what do you think? In audio, um, so I'll come to you first, Philip. What, what, what would you suggest incentives-wise? I mean, I, I need to be careful because Robert and I have probably got similar views on some of this. I mean, you know, we talk about VAT alignment between home and, and public charging. Infrastructure is, is is obviously key. On-street charging is is obviously um, prevalent. I think there's a lot of work to do, one within the remarketing sector around knowledge and, and expertise and, and terminology um, to help this transition. 
and the consumer i mean you know robert will, will speak more from a dealer perspective but that terminology and the usage and what does the kilowatt mean and 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 what does you know the miles per kilowatt what do i get you know what does this because we've all been used to miles per gallon we know we know what we pay at the pumps etc but it's a new language that the general consumer have not used before you know they they see all these different kilowatts they see all these different charges from slow trickle charges seven kilowatts up to your your fast charges they hear about the solid state batteries the blade technology batteries all these new battery technology but the consumers just you know they've had decades and decades of getting in a petrol or diesel vehicle going to a a pump filling it up paying whatever the the pence per gallon is and looking at the thing and saying i get x miles per gallon whether they trust the miles per gallon or not is a totally different debate but it's a new world that the consumer is now starting to enter that there's a lot to do in in that space in addition to the incentives and the this this adoption of 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 evs that we need to to work on yeah can you hear me okay yeah we got you yeah incentives Uh, what would you suggest well I, i think there are the starting point of the situation is that the government has mandated that we have to sell electric vehicles in strong numbers by 80 percent by 2030 to be honest with you that is well ahead of the european union and i've no idea why we're out of kilter with the european union we're an integrated european car market so i'd actually start there and, and they need to get themselves back in line and get rid of these targets and fines which are going to crucify the manufacturers if you actually want to stimulate demand which I worry they haven't got the money to do it. The infrastructure is improving. I am. I have got an electric vehicle. I travel up and down the country. It is getting better every month, actually. But we have major issues with substations and the time delay. And so I've got dealerships in Exeter on Marsh Barton Estate. Frankly, I'm going to wait two or three years to get substations. I can't charge up electric vehicles. So the government needs to get a grip of that uh, on a big way. And I, why we are paying for substations is a mystery to me, to be honest. Um, can't imagine why we have to do that. Um, secondly, there's a difference in charging up VAT between uh, at my house, it's 5% VAT, public charging, it's 20%. Complete madness, that is. That just needs sorting out. Uh, and actually, if you're going to get electric vehicles into private customers, you have to reduce the pricing difference between a battery electric vehicle and a petrol and diesel vehicle. And that doesn't mean increasing the petrol and diesel cost. It means reducing the price of new vehicles to a level where people actually want to buy them and can afford to buy them, which means subsidies, whether you call it grants, whatever you call it. If they actually are serious about hitting these targets, which I have suspicions they're not, uh, then they need to they need to do that. They are telling us what to do. They are mandating it legally, but they seem to refuse to want to pay for it. And you can't have everything. The manufacturers have not got the ability to fund this transition on their own. Uh, They are struggling with competition from China, with the cost of production of electric vehicles and with the cost of the R&D transition. And it is ridiculous that the government are making them pay for it when it's the government that's decided. Philip, the the, the old plug-in car grant was withdrawn a a couple of years ago. Thinking back to that, did did, did that work? Is that something that... that, I think it helped. I think, you know, at the end of the day, every bit in the, the consumer's pocket does does help. I know there's a lot of incentives taking place by either dealers or or manufacturers where they, they're offering to put in as part of the, 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 the purchase of a new car, the home charger, et cetera. But I think every the fact that they've had the grant in place, and I think Robert made the point right initially, that we are the only market that don't have some kind of incentive in place for, for the consumer. I think they had it removing it was the wrong thing to do i think it should have maintained um that would have helped i think generally we can be a bit short-sighted i mean if you look at just the january numbers you know the fact that private is down 15.8 percent year on year and now in january alone counts for 35.2 percent of registration share that is not financially positive for the manufacturers because fleet is a distressed market in in you know we know that private sales is is the more profitable market it's the more profitable market for the dealers it generates the parts exchanges coming in and things like this so the volume going into fleet away from private yes it gets the numbers we know we see an 8.2 percent overall increase year on year but financially it is not 
the best and even balance between private and, and, and fleet business is is the most profitable way for, for the sector to, to operate. So we are in danger that with all this, in addition to the cost of EVs and, and the distressed selling of EVs, et cetera, that it's actually costing commercially, financially, the, the impact both for dealers and the, the OEMs. So I think there's a there's a lot to do around this incentive and there's some decisions need to be made fairly quickly and then stuck to so that people can plan and we can best act, you know, we can work to those those new incentives or decisions from the government. We don't want to wait for last minute curry vault decisions um just to try and get the you know the government back in again and, and et cetera. That's not that's not what the motorist needs at the minute and not not as a sector. I think if we go back, you know, to, to go back to the point about the plug-in grant, did it work or not? If we stick to the, the facts and figures, what we have seen is a decline since it's gone in terms of the volume of electric vehicles being sold. So on the face of it, therefore, you'd have to conclude it was useful and it was helpful. I think then I, I go on a lot about the 360 strategy. And, and, and if we... If we, if our aim ultimately, and I believe it is the aim of the government ultimately to be in a position where we create a cleaner environment, then we have to make sure that in making this transition that we achieve that because, you know, two and a half, three ton, heavy, really expensive electric vehicles are not the solution that will take the UK uh, marketplace to being a clean motoring uh, future. We, we have to be in a position where the cars that are selling today, the smaller vehicles in the marketplace are the ones that need to transition to electric if we're going to do that. And so that any policy that comes out needs to make sure that we are incentivizing the right level and you know, go back to the point today, even on the, the, the one incentive that there is, I guess, in the marketplace of the benefit in kind, it, it, it's in the wrong direction in terms of where the benefit is compared to where the market is. Two distinct themes emerging in, in, in the questions coming in, which I'll, I'll do one by one. But firstly, a quick question, Russell Gowers, that you might want to take first, Robert. Um, Russell is an associate partner at IBM UK Limited. Do we think there will be a massive influx of pre-registered cars as manufacturers try to raise their BEV sales proportions, which will have a knock-on impact on used values? Well, we might have just lost you, Robert. Do you want to take that one, Yuri? Do you think um, pre-reg... The return of? I don't think pre-reg is ever there a solution that we should be aiming for. In big, you know, I work for Stellantis, and for those people who know uh, our CEO, then uh, we would not be in a position where we 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 are obviously aimed at being a profitable company. We're not about uh, creating an industry, creating a bev industry, and losing money. So we want to be in a position where we create a positive marketplace. I'm not sure that um, pre-registration is the way forward. Do I think it will happen in some cases in the marketplace? I'm sure there'll be an element of that. Um, but I, I think we need to avoid it at, at all costs and try and give positive reasons for the public to transition to electric. Yeah, I think, you know, there has been, you know, whether we look back to 2023 and, and, and sort of early signs this year, yeah, you know, we are clearly back in a, a what we would describe as a, as a push marketplace. Um, you know, we we are heading towards that. I think whether it's tactical registrations, force registrations, pre-reg, however it's it's named, I think clearly there is things taking place at the minute. If you're a fleet operator, in some cases, you know, you are having to do the pack deals. You're having to take a number of EVs if you want certain non-EV products, etc. So these things are all starting to take place as manufacturers trying to to navigate their way through the the legislations and targets that they've been given. I think, you know, clearly, you know, we are on this road to an EV marketplace, you know, that that, you know, ICE vehicles are now being being uh, phased out. But I think it's the speed in which it's happening and the way it's happening, it's not being done nat through natural adoption, which is dangerous. It's not possible that way. But I think, yeah, we are, you know, we saw evidence throughout 2023 as production returned of tactical uh, pre-reg activity. Dealers and, and Robert will probably be able to expand on this a lot more in terms of that demonstrator and, and that that you know, the, the courtesy car demonstrator market, that will be be happening, particularly on EVs as well, which is costly in a very volatile residual value 
used vehicle marketplace on on EVs. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much appetite in retail networks for battery electric vehicle pre-reg activity. Actually, um, they are high cost um, vehicles in the main. So you have a lot of capital tied up and the volatility of the residual values is quite significant, really. Um, it will be an expensive route for everybody in terms of manufacturers and retailers and is really not where we need to get to. Um, we did see a bit of it last year, in fairness, in some manufacturers. Um, but it was the manufacturers really that took the hit there um, and there were some significant discounts. I suspect, to take Yuri's point, that the volume lever will be used before the pre-reg lever, I think. Uh, I think there will be, if we get into a state where there is a, a lack of EV sales, I think the overall volumes will be brought down and ICE will be used as the mechanism. I think before we get to that, Manufacturers will use motability as a channel. They'll use fleet salary sacrifice as a channel. They'll force fleet rental companies to take a percentage of BEV. Uh, but it is really masking the underlying problem, which is the government have mandated a technological change without probably a democratic mandate, to be brutally honest, um, or by providing the wherewithal to do it. So I think there are going to be some challenges, whether the government will listen during the course of the year. I mean, Eurig and the SMMT are much better place to deal with that than I am. Um, I, I think we're in, it could be quite interesting, actually. Now, we'll be helped if interest rates come down. We, we shouldn't forget basic economics, which if interest rates come down and cars become more affordable, then the world will, will look better and we can all look forward, I think, to interest rate cuts. And I think that will help. But let's be honest, quite a lot of electric vehicles today are being retailed 0% finance. <laughs> uh, so, you know. And I know it would be less expensive to do 0%. So I think political lobbying is probably the most important thing that the industry's got to do this year to try and get some degree of um, understanding by government of what the car market is about and what life is like outside of the M25, which I think is a major problem. Eric, in, in practice, just to, with your position, uh, running sales at Stellantis in the UK. Uh, what does a day view look like? Are you monitoring sales on a live basis to hit that 22%? Are you turning offers up on some models, down on other models, just to try and constantly... Yeah, of course. One thing's for certain is that it's not our style to leave it till Q4 to be compliant. So we measure ourselves monthly, we measure ourselves quarterly, and we, our ambition will be to be compliant in uh, on a quarterly basis. So... We, we don't want to back-end this, this uh, task for, for being compliant. And to be completely clear, once again, we will be compliant. So if the, uh, the government requirement, is, as Robert's described, it's not quite as straightforward as 22% because you have uh, credits from CO2, uh, et cetera, but we will not end up in a position where we are non-compliant. That means, of course, you have to take the whole array of tools and possibilities that you have in front of you. So you know, 0% finance is prevalent on uh, BEVs in the marketplace already. Uh, there are offers in each channel uh, to market where we're trying to take a, a fair share of uh, of BEV sales. And you know, I guess it's, you know, in a funny kind of way, it's a, a really challenging environment to be, but the most agile, the people who are able to respond quickest uh, is uh, going to be the winners because there is an opportunity in terms of market share, of course, in this kind of environment where if we you take the uh, BEV compliance as uh, uh, the entry key to the market almost, then once that's in place and achieved, then it releases the opportunity to sell um, the, the ice cars, which maybe is the, there's a higher demand for. Robert, did it reach the point manufacturers and dealers sort of working together to you could persuade people not to buy a certain type of car because uh, you're staring down a £15,000 fine otherwise. Well, I mean, there's no question we will be incentivized and are incentivized to make sure we get the right mix for the manufacturer. Um, there is no merit in giving a customer a car that doesn't suit him. That That is a tale of woe, and you'd have to be an idiot to go down that route. But let's be honest, there are a chunk of people in this country who could quite easily have an electric vehicle. 
My wife has taken delivery in the last four days of an electric vehicle. She does basically 10 miles a week. <laughs> so, I mean, electric vehicle is absolutely perfect for her. And now she's got one. Uh, I tr sort of, we tried the hybrid first and now she got used to plugging it in. Now she's on electric. So there are vast arrays of people who should have electric, but there are problems we shouldn't overlook. I mean, if you take motability, which is a great channel for electric vehicles, but you've got people who might live in social housing, might not have drives. How do you deal with charging? You might have some vulnerable customers in there. Actually getting a charging point put in your house is not the easiest of things. You've got to have surveys and videos. And so this is not an easy subject and it's full of complexity. Um, but I think we, we are very agile. The manufacturers and the retailers will work closely together there's no question about that, and we will try our best. Another key lever or something we've had a couple of years off, really, in the UK car market with discounting. Everyone loves a deal. Robert, and well, perhaps everyone would like to, to come in on this. Where are we with, with discounting? Is this a good time to be buying a new car of any power type? Uh, oh, for sure. Uh... There was no doubt about that because um, as we moved through quarter one, and let's be honest, quarter one is the quarter for new car sales with March still has a big pull. Uh, there are incentives to hit for retailers um, and we will have umpteen um, events across every one of our dealerships. The manufacturers are supporting us with fantastic deals, particularly on BEV. Actually, not exclusive to BEV, but the deals on BEV are exceptional at the moment because we've got to hit these targets. You wonder whether the manufacturers are making any money on them. I suspect they're not sometimes. Um, so, you know, the, I actually walked into York BMW about a fortnight ago, actually, on a, on a Saturday. Oh, it's a Sunday. I walked in on a Sunday and we got a VIP event on for customers. The place was buzzing. They sold, you know, 20 cars on the Saturday, 15 new cars on the on the Sunday. It was phenomenal. The customers enjoy buying cars. I mean, it, it is a pleasurable experience. It is not a terrible experience. Um, they like getting into a new car. They like the smell of it. So, you know, I think at the moment we've probably got the best opportunity. We've got better supply now than we've had for three or four years, let's be honest. Uh, so, we will do our level best to do what we're good at, which is selling cars to people who want to buy them. And, uh, you know, I think we'll get a bit of momentum in that. Whether it's going to be easy to hit some of the targets, we'll have to wait and see. But we will give it a good shot. And we're certainly putting it into marketing and events. And uh, I've got a larger sales team now than I've had for the past two or three years. I've got the capacity to sell cars. Um, the marketing, I think, We'll do our marketing. The manufacturers are doing a lot of marketing. It's heavy BEV-based, I should expect. Um, you know, no one can say that the industry isn't putting its best foot forward. Um, the, the playing pitch we're on is odd. It's not the normal football pitch we're used to playing on. It's deeply uphill and not square. So, <laughs> there we are. It's a very way, good way of describing and summarising, I would say, Robert, for sure. And, and I'd echo those comments, really, is that, you know, we are, we all remember, I guess, in, you know, coming out of the COVID period where the market was was depressed more out of supply than demand. Yeah. There was demand there, and that was seen in, in terms of order banks. The demand is still there as we catch back in, in many of those. And some of that fleet business that's being done now, of mm -hmm. course, is because vehicles were not replaced in cycles yeah. when the vehicles weren't available. So there's a lot of, of, of opportunity. I think it is a good op uh, time to be uh, buying a vehicle. Always is, because like Robert says, it's a great experience. There's nothing takes away, is there, that day when you pick up the brand new car, the feeling, opening the door the first time, that smell, it's something, clearly it's addictive and it's a, a good driver for the marketplace. So we should... You know, with with all the challenges that we have in front of us, and they are many, but we should remain. We love this industry, right? We love what we do. We love selling cars. We love the joy that that brings to our customers. And so, we have to make sure we try and enjoy uh, enjoy the year, despite all of these uh, things that are sent our way as well. Philip, another way of buying a car it doesn't have to be new; it can be used. Uh, you touched on it in your in your intro there that some of the the Cox Automotive 
projections for used car market but but where are we with with used cars uh, in the uk i mean so last year in oscar to kind uk some of our biggest stories were about the challenges facing the used car market but is it is it in a better place at the moment it, yeah i mean robert made the point earlier that you know particularly q4 but it kind of started since probably may of of last year in terms of this sort of realignment on the back of the the COVID used vehicle bounce that, you know, we saw those used vehicle prices increase by 22% um, in, in the UK, as much as 30% in the in Europe and 40% over in the, the US. You know, they had to start to come down at some point, they had to start realign. We'd question the speed in which they, they fell in, particularly in that, that fourth quarter. But, you know, we are where we are today. Um, we've had a, a probably a slower start to sort of 2024 than we'd normally have we'd normally have you know a lot more appetite in the fourth quarter as retailers start to to build up their stock profile to hit the new year running in terms of consumer appetite consumer demand you know it was a bit slow in in the first week to 10 days it is starting to build so you know prices are starting to firm up a little bit as people are getting a little bit more confident that those extreme realignments and drops that we saw in particularly October, November and, and, and into December have, have now slowed down a little bit. And, you know, in some cases we're seeing, you know, positive movements of used vehicle values now as conversion rates are starting to improve, activities starting to improve in terms of attendance, first time conversion is is improving week on week. So it is starting to build and and to Robert's point, you know, Q1 is a a key water for the for the dealer network it, it sets the scene for the year it's a big proportion of the the year's revenue and i think that you know for me one thing at the minute is you know we've got to remember we the market that we're in we we, we did some very good margin retentions through through the pandemic when supply was was short both in new and used and we've got to remember that that you know used vehicle supply, particularly in the used vehicle market, will be constrained because of the production drops that we saw in in the global market because of the registration drops that we saw in in the UK. So supply may have felt that it was oversupply in in the fourth quarter, but really it was a lack of demand. As we move into more positive demand and appetite from retailers start to stock up again to their normal levels that product will start to dry up and particularly in the not to four year old product and particularly in the non bev product that's where the strength is going to be so we've got to be very clear that you know the vehicles that are entering the used vehicle park in the not to four year old are getting slimmer and slimmer and slimmer and for the particularly in that petrol and diesel product for for retailers to go on with so you know there's some scary scary numbers that that you sort of you start to look at in that that marketplace robert is it, is it a better time to be buying a new car or a used car would you say at the moment um depends how much money you've got the answer um a lot of people are trading down because they're under pressure i, I had a customer the other day who's um, mortgage payments have doubled. They wanted to downsize. They downsized, you know, to a cheaper car to get the monthly payment down. I think that's quite common. Uh, I think Philip is right in his assessment of used car. I, I think we're in a very different position. I'm not overly convinced. I fully understand actually why used car values went down so much in Q4 and so quickly because actually there is an underlying constraint on supply in used cars, and as we look at the private car market which obviously generates then part exchanges into our used car operations if volume is going to be muted in the private area which certainly january looked like it was then actually retailers are going to be short of stock and having to go into the wholesale markets and buy from fleet companies and and i think that will could potentially lead to quite robust pricing which we're actually starting to see we are seeing prices rise uh, which was broadly as expected uh, you know, it takes a while. I've been through a few of these cycles now. It, it takes about four or five months probably to weave its way through. Um, so I think whilst we've got probably oversupply in new cars as a potential worry, I think we've got undersupply in used cars as a potential worry and finding stock could be in more interesting. Demand actually for used cars, I think, is very robust. Uh, even though we've got high interest rates. So if you're funding a one, you know, you've got 13.9, 12.9% APRs. Um, 
as we see interest rates coming down, which we anticipate it will during the course of the year, that makes used cars more affordable. And uh, the the issue, it's complicated, isn't it? I mean, the whole industry is complicated. That's why we love it, because it's so flipping complicated. Um, if you have discounting in new cars, which let's for the assumption say we have, for all the reasons we've discussed, that does have a knock-on effect on used cars, because the used car has to be cheaper. Uh, and if you've got 0% in new and 11.9% in used, you can get switched from used to new, which then dampens used car demand and therefore can have a, a, an impact on value. So I, I actually don't know what's going to happen to used car residuals. I could argue both ways. I could argue we've got supply constraints, so prices are going to be robust, or discounted in new cars, which is going to mean that um, values are going to have a limit on, on them. And I think that's probably where we'll be. I think it could be quite almost stable i could be very well proved wrong we could see all kinds of things happening this year but that would be my take i think retailers are, are running quite light on stock philip i think generally uh you don't want too much stock if you don't know what's going to happen um so i think you know certainly we said we would run tight and we are unused there are some fundamentals, aren't there, that both of you have touched on, really, is that we're coming out of a COVID period where there wasn't the size of new car market that there normally would be. And so fundamentally, supply in the used car market for the next two to three years is going to be below yeah. where it has been historically. So that, as a point of fundamental economics, if you like, means that demand has to drop considerably for things just to, to, to yeah. drop. So I think we are... As an industry, if we're guilty of one thing, is that we tend to maybe panic from time to time. And that's what we saw in Q4, in my view, is not a reflection of reality, but a reflection well, of... Well, I'd argue against that. Thought. I would argue specifically <laughs> against that. <laughs> but it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Is that, you know, yes. we, we say that the drops happen in one month and therefore what we buy the following month has to take account of a further drop just in case. And these things kind of... Uh, over the quarter, accelerate. Yeah, but it would be a very brave man who sat there thinking, "I'll just hang on." Completely, <laughs> oh, no, com com completely. But there's been times, you know, if we <laughs> indeed. But if you go look at 2020, there was a period, wasn't there, when everybody did the same thing, and that uh, yeah. used cars uh, prices crashed, and then within six months, they were a sound investment if you still had them. Now, thankfully, uh, we, we have to, of course, maintain a turn of stock all of the time and, and, yeah. and have to be in and out of the marketplace. I get that completely. But there, there is an element, I think, where you have to start looking at the fundamentals of the economics of the situation that we face. And so I would tend to agree with Robert is that we're likely to see at least a, a position where we go back to a steady state. I don't, I don't see a further, personally anyway, I don't see a further uh, big reduction um, and as I think from a new car point of view, then supply again will be uh, a measure in terms of where we are on, on discounting. Will. The other thing is, my history tells me that general election campaigns, people tend to just hold off for that six weeks, actually. Uh, and depending on when that is, uh, you wouldn't want it in Q4, I think is the answer. Um, so we've got we've got that to contend with because people do take a temporary pause at points don't they when there's on so you know if somebody announces there's going to be a war i suspect that would have a similar effect um so we don't we don't know do we if we did know we would probably not be on this call yeah and i think just to add some context around supply and demand in terms of numbers i think you know we we all hear about the the production loss over the four-year period from sort of 2020 23 you know production was down you know, just short of 50 million, it was 49.3 million fewer cars and commercial vehicles were produced. We know why, etc. it's been announced. But you know, new car registrations over that period were down 31%. So we lost 3.1 million new car registrations over that four-year period compared to the pre-pandemic four-year period. Majority was lost through the fleet and business. We know why, because manufacturers cut off supply to fleet business because of profitability, you know, fleet business lost 1.9 million compared to private at 1.2 million. But actually, what we're saying earlier about the fundamentals about fuel type, you know, diesel, we registered 3.7 million diesels in the four years up to 2020. Post-2020, we've registered 552,000 diesels as a UK industry. So when you start linking about that used vehicle park, used vehicle prices, sub-four-year-old products, you know, you know, if you look at sub 12 month old, last year we registered 71,000 diesels. So next this year, 
there was 71,000 less than one year old vehicles, diesel product from 2023 to go for across the sector. So if we don't get this adoption in the consumer market quickly for used battery electric vehicles or at least hybrid, the choice of petrol will then follow what's happening with diesel. And that will then have an impact on supply and demand dynamics. That will then potentially have an impact on pricing. And that's where we've got to think. We're not sure which way it will go. But, you know, when you think about 85% loss of diesel, 45% loss of petrol over that four-year period, that has an impact on used vehicle values in that not to four-year-old. And that starts to continue as you go through the cycle. So we've got to be very clear as what's happening in that used vehicle park around supply and demand. Eric, when you're when you're dealing with selling a a new EV, are you considering its its second life as a used EV when you're pricing it? Of course, it's residual value. And, and do you look at the used EV market as a, as a subset of the normal used market, or is it a completely different proposition you have to contend with? I think the reality is that the vast vast majority of new car sales, whether they're battery electric or whether they're ICE, in fact then the residual value and, and the future ownership of that car is fundamental. It's not size of volume of new vehicles bought on an outright purchase uh, basis. In other words, where there's no link for us in terms of the future value of the car is very small. And it's, uh, it's been the case across the industry for a long, long time. So, yeah, it is completely fundamental. Um, it's why, of course, we try and bring out policies like you know, Peugeot's uh, policy on extending the warranty of the vehicle to give co consumers more confidence on battery electric for the future. So you see eight-year warranties on batteries because I think, you know, the old mobile phones on our desk convince us that after three years, your phone's knackered. And so your mobile phone is almost designed, I would suspect, to uh, to turn every 18 months, two years or so when linked with your phone contract. That's not the way we engineer cars. And so we have to make sure that we give consumers confidence uh, in terms of the, the reliability. An electric vehicle is far more reliable because of less uh, mechanical movement to start with. And so you know, we, we have to give people confidence for, for sure for second, third and fourth ownership of the vehicles along the chain. There does Absolutely seem to be an issue, though, Eurig, doesn't there, in terms of insurance costs? I mean, there's a general market problem with insurance costs, but there does seem a particular problem with electric vehicles. And the time they're off the road, and 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 the insurance companies are concerned about that, and that's not helping with adoption of electric vehicles, is it? No, for sure. And because until probably very until now, when we're 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 looking at some of the demand levels dropping, batteries have been in short supply. Of course, so that some of these areas where you know you have an accident where battery is impacted, then there's quite a fundamental impact in mm -hmm. terms of supply chain on on getting those vehicles back on the road. Those I would see as teething troubles of a transition and you know we we are trying to deliver at the moment a fundamental change in the way that we motor in the uk away from uh, a technology that we've dealt with for many many years into a, a new uh, new technology which will have many many benefits it's got costs at the moment of course but these are issues i think that we will work through over the the coming years and you know, again it goes back to my point about having the complete strategy and if we want to compel electric ownership, then we've got to make sure that all parts of the industry along the value chain, including insurance, including mm -hmm. aftercare, is, is capable to support. I think that's a good point. I think we talk about infrastructure a lot, but, you know, that aftermarket, the body repair centres, the set, you know, the, the, you can't just get, you know, a, a panel shunt on a vehicle that you know would normally go into a body shop somewhere those body shops in the volume are not necessarily there to deal with battery electric vehicles with the battery and the so there's there's a lot to be done around this whole ecosystem around battery electric vehicles and i think the risk is to the point we made right at the start is is the speed of this transition is it all at the same time or is it you know is the registration volume then the registration number being sort of focused on too much and forgetting about the infrastructure, forgetting about the cost of ownership, forgetting about the aftermarket, the infrastructure and that 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 body repair aftermarket as well is is becoming a bit of a challenge now as volume continues to increase. Another topic we could probably fill another hour with, but we'll close in a few minutes is just agency model. Robert, from the dealer perspective, what could we learn from what Mercedes did did last year 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the context of all the other issues we've discussed, I think it's a minor item, to be honest, uh, agency. Uh, what could you say? Well, the big open question is, can you deliver volume through agency? That is the question. And Mercedes clearly had a reduction in volume last year in the marketplace. Um, and the question is, is that a teething problem that can be dealt with via changes and expertise? Or is it what agency does? Uh, because in agency models, you can't push. Very difficult to push. Um, the manufacturer is responsible for marketing and the retailers do test drives and take orders, but actually pushing is actually quite difficult. So it's not something that I'm massively worried about at the moment, agency. It's another change on top of change for sure. Um, I have some doubts about whether it delivers the benefits that are uh, McKinsey said it would produce, if I'm honest. I think there was some degree of wishful thinking and all that. Um, but in the context of, you know, what's more important, agency or BEV, we've got to remember that agency has been introduced pretty well because of the BEV transition, actually, um, I think. But it, it's not something I'm paying a lot of attention to at the moment. Do you welcome it? Is it something you, you support in favour of? Or... Uh, I would prefer more stability, actually. Uh, I think compounding change is actually problematic. So I've not got very strong views either way. I just prefer a more stable environment while we try and work out what the hell we're doing with these electric vehicles to push another massive change through retail networks and quite complicated business processes. Um, we will do it clearly because we will be mandated to do it. Um, I think that I think it is getting more and more delayed by more and more people who are looking at it. And I'm looking at Eurig as I speak on this one. Um, it is not necessarily a panacea to deliver a silver bullet for worldwide automotive, I think is probably my summary. Uh, but there are pros and cons for retailers. Yuri, Stantis has delayed, I believe, till 2026. I mean, you remain committed to it, but but why now? With Robert's word, words ringing in your ears there. Yeah, no, we, we had a plan for LCV. We had no date in mind for cars um, to move to the agency model. And there's it, it, a fundamental point in what I've just said almost. In when we And we all describe it as an agency model. There's a whole range of agency models, different types and different approaches. And I think the decision we've taken is that completely in agreement with what Robert's just shared, really, is there's enough transition in our industry right now to for us to just recognize that that is a, an issue that can wait we work then really really closely with our retailers to formulate what the best way going forward and it almost comes back to the way i started we have to be Darwinian in our industry in every industry for it to succeed and recognize that things don't stand still and change over a period of time we have to evolve uh, to, to survive but we need to do that with a recognition always that I think it's a full value chain. And for me, you know, I worked with the, the network for 20 years or so. I started as a customer advisor, as a trainee many, many years ago. I value our dealer partners. We will always need dealer partners, whatever approach we take uh, to retailing cars. Philip, with, with agency, do you see it making a big, big impact in the UK? Necessary? Um... I think, you know, both to Jurgs and, and Robert's point, I mean, it's if you look at the pure definition of an agency versus franchise, we we know that it's not working out quite like that. It's a, so, yeah, there isn't a single blueprint for for agency planning out at the minute. You know, the manufacturers are working very closely with the dealer network. I think clearly it needs to be a win-win for all. It needs to win for the manufacturer in terms of, you know, volume, market share, profitability. It needs to work for the dealer. And it needs to work for the consumer, you know. Inevitably, it's got to it's got to maintain that that customer brand loyalty, etc. So, I think the complexity behind all of this is, you know, some of that e-commerce space, the part exchange, the valuation appraisal space that needs to take place, the the finance, the gap sales. All this is is where the complexity starts to come in. I think the price transparency and the fixed pricing isn't really the big issue. I think it's everything, It's the peripherals around all of that that are creating more of the immediate complexity that the manufacturers, the OEMs are trying to work their way through. But I think, you know, inevitably it will work for some. It may not be the answer for others. It'll work for some retailers that want to, you know, work in that, that space. Others will 
go into other OEM spaces and, and work with other OEMs that are not transitioning to, to agency model. So it'll play through and I think it'll work for some and not, not for others. Um, I think, you know, one thing is clear. It's, you know, we need to make sure that it does work for all parties and it, it, it's a seamless transition. It's a sleek, seamless transaction, whether it's in the virtual or physical space is, is clear with all of this. And that's where, you know, we as a business in, in, you know, in our market territories are working closely with the retail network and the OEMs to help that transition, particularly when it comes to that used vehicle space and, and, and the support there. Thank you very much, Philip. And that's about all we have time for today. Uh, thank you very much for for watching and listening. Thank you to Philip, Robert and Yurik for joining us and sharing their fascinating insights. And of course, you all for watching and your questions. Thanks again to our sponsors, Cox Automotive. Please check out their insight reports where you'll find forecasts of 2024 and beyond, plus analysis of the topics discussed today at coxautoinc.com. Uh, so thank you very much. Goodbye. And we'll see you again very soon on the next Autocar Business Live.